Hello and welcome to the last episode of the first season of Double Coverage here on the State Hornet Podcast Network. As always, I am Sean Holko alongside my good friend Mac Irvin III. Mac, I've been asking you this for the last pretty much two months while we've been in self-isolation due to the coronavirus. It's been a crazy semester, but how are you doing, Mac? Uh, I'm feeling a little emotional because, you know, school's wrapping up. A lot of friends are moving on. I got a lot of friends graduating this year. So, you know, just trying to come to terms with that. But other than that, I'm doing okay. One of those friends that are graduating is none other than myself. So I want to just give a quick golf clap for myself for not letting the coronavirus <laughs> stop me. And uh, and I'm going to be graduating, which is bittersweet because, of course, I'm happy to get that diploma and to get um, what I've been working for for the last four years. But then also leaving friends behind like Mac and several other friends that I made at Sac State um, is going to be hard. And this will be my last episode as a host here on Double Coverage. But Hopefully this continues into next semester. Um, So anyways, guys, we have a big show for you all today. Whether if you want to call it a supersized episode of double coverage, whether if you want to say it's a double double coverage, whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. I can come up with a bunch of cheesy ways, but I'm just going to hold up the show if I keep doing that. So let's just get it going. So on today's supersized episode of double coverage with Mac Irvin III and Sean Holko, We have a guest on the show. We have our first guest that we ever had on the show joining us for the last segment of today. Mr. Gary Singh will be joining us to discuss the last dance, the 10 part Chicago Bulls documentary that heavily focuses on the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. But first, Mac and I, we are going to recap UFC 249, which took place this past Saturday in Jacksonville, Florida. It was the first televised sporting event in the United States in over two months. We will get into the NFL schedule release. And finally, before Gary joins us, Mac and I, we will talk about when sports might actually return, when the NBA, the MLB, MLB didn't even get a chance to start, but NBA and NHL, when will they return and finish their seasons? And when will the MLB get to start its 2020 season? So we have a lot to talk about here today. So now let's get into it, Mac. And also, I think it should be noted that the UFC, they implemented a solid testing policy uh, to test every single fighter, member of the crew, member of the fight teams. Every single person that was a part of that event had a coronavirus test, had a big old stick stuck up their nose. And it actually came back that one fighter and a couple of his uh, fight team members did test positive. They just pulled him from the fight card and they just canceled that fight. But the rest of the event went on, which I actually thought was interesting, but I was happy to see that. Um, So anyways, Mac, let's get into the fight card and we're going to skip over the prelims, which we usually do, except for one fight. One fight was the main event of the prelims and it very well could have been on the main card, but it just showed how stacked this card was. And it had Anthony Pettis defeating Donald Cerrone via a unanimous decision. 29-28 is how all three judges ruled it. I honestly thought that this was a, a bad ruling. I thought that Donald Cerrone got robbed. This was a very back and forth fight. It was a rematch from seven years ago when they had originally fought and Anthony Pettis had knocked him out. This one went the distance. I honestly thought that Donald Cerrone should have won, but hey, they they gave it to Pettis and uh, what can you do? 
Yeah, you know, uh, I, you know, I did not watch this fight, you know, when it happened. And I, so I still have to go back and watch the tape. But, I mean, if you would have told me going into the fight that it was Pettis and Cerrone, you know, my pick would have been Pettis. So the result on paper wasn't that surprising to me. But, you know, maybe I'll have to go back and see if I agree with Sean or not. Yeah, we shall see. And the rest of you who haven't seen that fight yet, it's it's available somewhere on the Internet. So check it out. Um, Cowboy Cerrone, he's he's had a little bit of a, of a, of a tough last 12 months at least in the ufc we the last fight that he was in before uh he, he went up against pettis was when he fought conor mcgregor and that fight was like 15 seconds conor mcgregor brought him in with a clinch and just gave him the shoulder like five times broke his nose knocked him out it was quick so it was nice to see cowboy cerrone really go out there and put on a good fight it, it was just a tough decision um, so now, Mac, let's get into the main card. The only reason why we talked about the, the prelims is because of how good of a fight was in the main event. Now with the main card, we're going to do a little quick fire for these first three, and then we're going to go into detail on the last two. So this first one, Greg Hardy defeated Jorgen DeCastro by unanimous decision 30-27. And what I uh, thought was quite interesting about this fight is that Greg Hardy, who is a former NFL player, he was losing this fight and then... He heard uh, he heard uh, Daniel Cormier on the commentary on the side saying, oh, he needs to do this. He's doing this wrong. And there was no fans, no nothing. So he could literally hear the commentators who were 10 feet away from him, and he could hear Cormier detailing everything he needed to do to make an adjustment. He made those adjustments, and he won the fight. So, Mac, what do you think about that? Do you think that they should put the, the commentators a little further away, or it's just whatever? It's it's what what the situation is. Yeah, it's one of those unforeseen circumstances of having no fans. And, you know, the announcers were always, you know, by ringside for UFC and boxing and that kind of stuff. I would say, you know, don't go too extreme with this. I wouldn't move them. I would keep them where they are, you know. If they're able to, I guess, focus in on what the commentators are saying and make those adjustments on the fly, it's almost no different to what, you know, because, you know, the corner's yelling at them, you know, during the fight all the time. So you would think they'd be listening to them, you know, giving them priority instead of, you know, all the other noise that they hear. So I don't have a problem with it. It was funny to to hear, though, (laughs) that Greg Hardy utilized that. Exactly. And Greg Hardy admitted it in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is one of those commentators. And something different that Joe Rogan did versus what was originally planned is they were going to have Joe Rogan stand on the opposite side of the arena and like have the fighter put on a headset and do the interviews that way. But Joe Rogan basically said, fuck that. We've all been tested multiple times for the coronavirus. I want to stand next to these guys right after the fights and really get their true perspective. And I actually thought that the interviews after all of the fights were even better than they usually are. And that's probably got to be because they don't have uh, tens of thousands of fans screaming obscenities at them as they're trying to do a post-fight interview. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, being that they've been tested, you know, frequently and, you know, they were really, you know, strict on who they were going to allow in there. I guess it's okay in that sense because, you know, kind of like your risk and everything. So I think it worked out well for them. So the next fight on the main card was Calvin Cater defeated Jeremy Stevens by a second round knockout. The thing that was the storyline going into this fight is that Stevens had missed the weight 
at 150 and a half pounds, which really upset Cater and Cater got his revenge as he was able to knock out the veteran in Jeremy Stevens. The next fight was also a knockout. This one did not go nearly as long as the freak Francis Ngannou defeated Jarzinho Rosenstrike by KO. It took him 20 seconds. Rosenstrike had called out Ngannou after his last fight, and uh, he looked stupid, didn't he, Mac? Yeah, it's uh, pretty embarrassing when you go out there, for any professional fighter to go out there and lose in the first round. (laughs) And so the next fight was Henry Cejudo who was a multiple weight class champion. He fought the legend in Dominic Cruz and he knocked him out in the second round with only two seconds left in the round. Uh, Triple C gave Dominic Cruz a big knee. Then he tried to finish him and Dominic Cruz was very unhappy with uh, the decision to call the fight as he was trying to stand back up to his feet. And when that's when uh, the the referee had called for the bell with only two seconds left in the second round, I thought that that was um, a little bit of a quick call. And then after the fight, Henry Cejudo announced his retirement. I don't know. He's only 33 years old. I don't know if he genuinely wants to retire or if this is just him trying to create leverage to get more money from the UFC and Dana White to get $2 million per fight. But Mac, what did you think about this fight? Yeah, it was crazy because, you know, they had stopped the fight with 20 seconds to go in the second round because they had accidentally clashed heads and Cejudo had a cut on his hairline. So they had to stop the fight to check that. And then after that, Cejudo came out and just landed a wicked knee on his head. And, you know, it's unfortunate that they had to stop the fight like that. But I mean, when you look at it, He's not really attempting to cover his head. I think that's one of the big things referees are looking for is, you know, trying to protect yourself and get back in the fight. When any fighter is not protecting themselves from constant blows, the referee is probably going to step in and stop it. Cruz was trying to stand up, but when you get punched 11 times in the side of your head without another punch in response to your opponent – that that's tough. And even Dominic Cruz said he wasn't happy with the stoppage, but he shouldn't have put himself in that position in the first place because Cejudo's knee rocked him, rocked him. And he tried his best to get up, but at the end of the day, he did lose the fight. And also the last thing that I wanted to note is that Dominic Cruz supposedly was, he wasn't done with his post-fight interview getting in on the ref, Keith Peterson. He even said that Keith Peterson had smelt like cigarettes and booze after the fight um so you got a ufc fighter attacking a ufc referee and their integrity it's just that's it's just a bad look for both sides but overall i thought that this was a good fight let's get to the main event you had tony ferguson who was the interim lightweight champion and he was supposed to fight khabib nermago madoff i got it on the third try khabib i'm just gonna call him khabib he tried to fight Khabib back in April, then Khabib got stuck in Russia. This this fight between Khabib and Tony Ferguson was supposed to happen like five, six times, and each time it didn't end up happening. So Justin Gaethje stepped up. He took Khabib's uh, spot, and Tony Ferguson, El Kukui, was the heavy favorite, but Justin Gaethje got the knockout in the fifth round with only a minute and 21 seconds left in the fight. He was giving... Tony Ferguson shot after shot after shot, and he was fucking him up. But regardless, Justin Gaethje, the underdog, got the win, and uh, he is now the interim lightweight champion, but he got the belt put on him by Dana White, and he just literally threw it off and 
uh, metaphorically threw it in the trash because he said, I'll wait for the real one until he can get his hands on Khabib and get the real belt. So I just laid out a lot. Give me your thoughts on all of it. Yeah, you know, again, this was another surprising result to me on paper. I would have thought, you know, Ferguson being matched up with Khabib, I thought he could take, you know, somebody stepping in for Khabib. But, I mean, Gaethje really surprised me with how, you know, effective he was at getting to Ferguson and hurting him. Ferguson never didn't really seem to have any response, except aside from the uppercut at the end of the, I believe, was the second round. Aside from that, you know, Ferguson never really had any real answer for him. And, yeah, it was a pretty done-dusted fight. I mean, it went five rounds, you know. Like you said, Ferguson just has that strong jaw, strong chin. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where this goes now, you know, because I, I assume, you know, Gaethje's going to have to fight Khabib, you know, in order to get his hands on the real belt. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I still believe Khabib's probably one of the best fighters in the in the UFC right now. And, I mean, you know, it's two different styles, but, I mean, it works for Khabib. So we'll see, you know, when this comes around. Overall, I thought it was a really good event. And I think that the UFC, they laid a little bit of the groundwork to show, okay, sports can continue, but these are all the steps that we need to take to ensure our safety. Yeah, I hope other leagues around the world are taking notice. I know NASCAR is coming back this weekend. You know, golf's supposed to be coming back soon. Uh, IndyCar is coming back in, in three weeks. So we'll see how they cope with all the, with this pandemic and, you know, if they have the same kind of regulations the UFC did because it seemed like they did things right. Exactly. All right, Mac, now let's keep it pushing here on Double Coverage into our next segment, which was that the NFL schedules were released this past week. We don't know if they're actually going to play these games at these certain dates. We shall see. Nevertheless, we are hypothetically going to break down this schedule, and we are going to talk about the Seahawks schedule, the 49ers schedule, and we will get into some of the primetime games. We will start with your Seattle Seahawks, Mac. In week one, they take on the Atlanta Falcons. I say that's a win. How about you? Oh, yeah. I, I think that's a win, too. I don't see anything from the Falcons over the last couple of years that says they can come out and beat us. But, I mean, we'll see. You know, Pete Carroll, cardiac kids, as I like to call my Seahawks, you know, they always love to make things close at the end. So we'll see. Yeah, last year the Falcons were not a very good team. Um, and the Seahawks, I believe, they played the Falcons. In Atlanta, I believe, if my memory serves correctly, and, and that game uh, was a lot closer than it really should have been. Um, so, anyways, Mac, we're gonna go through these schedules, and we're gonna we're gonna go uh, four games at a time. So, we both agreed that the the Seahawks beat the Falcons in Week One. I'm gonna say they beat the Patriots in Week Two. They lose to the Cowboys in Week Three, and then they beat the Dolphins in Week Four. So, I have the Seahawks at three and one after four weeks. How about you? Got him at four and zero. I think we beat the Cowboys. All right. And this isn't this isn't my bias talking, but I just feel like you know we have a better team than the Cowboys. You know they have a lot of uncertainty with Dak Prescott, especially with his tender situation. So yeah, you know, I don't know what he's going to play like, and uh, especially we don't know what Mike McCarthy is going to bring to them. You know, a whole new offensive scheme i'm guessing so we'll see so now we're going to go through the next four and this is also including the seahawks bye week in week six so they play the vikings at home i think that's going to be a close one but they'll win then out of the bye week they play at the cardinals i think that the seahawks will win that coming out of the bye week so now i have the seahawks at five and one they play the 49ers at home in seattle 
as much as a 49ers fan, uh, it pains me to say this. I think the Seahawks will win that game in Seattle. If, if the 12s are there, if the 12s are there, if the 12s are not there, I think the 49ers can steal one just like they did last year in the season finale. Um, so that brings us to week eight. Then the Seahawks play at the Buffalo Bills. I think that that's a loss. So after eight weeks, I have the Seahawks at six and two. Yeah, that Bills game in week nine, that's definitely going to be, you know, probably the toughest game we have on the schedule, apart from the 49ers. Uh, my pinch, I hate early bye weeks. You know, I feel like bye weeks should be for the week 10 of the season. So I, I'm disappointed that we have a bye week in week six. Vikings, I think we'll beat them. We have a pretty good record against them. Uh, coming off the bye week, I see us beating Arizona. And you know what? I can't see us dropping two straight games because I think it's going to be incredibly hard for us to make an undefeated run this season. So, you know, we're probably going to – I think we might lose that Niners game. And, you know, the Bills are a tough team, especially, you know, with that vaunted defense. The It's going to come down to offenses in that Bills game because I think it's going to be – which offense is going to prevail. And so I think uh, – now, you know what? I'm going to say the Seahawks beat the Bills because we have better offense than they do. I believe in our quarterback more than I believe in Josh Allen. So I'm going to say 7-1. and one. All right. So now that's the first half of the Seahawks schedule. Now let's get into the second half. Um, they open up week 10. They play at the Los Angeles Rams. That might be tough, but the Rams also are going to be – um, uh, not as good this year. So I think the Seahawks will win that to get to seven and two. Then they play at home against the Cardinals on a Thursday night on a short week. Even though they play in Seattle, I think that the Cardinals will steal one in Seattle. Um, so that's going to put the Seahawks now at uh, eight and two is where I have, or no, excuse me, seven and three. I'm trying to keep track in my head here. Then they play at the Eagles. I think that that's another loss for the Seahawks, even though they get 11 days. It's a Monday night football game. They get 11 days to prepare. I think they lose that one as well. So that drops them to seven and four. And then they play the New York Giants at home. I think that's a win. They get to eight. I am not afraid of any team in the NFC East. So Eagles and Giants, those are both wins for me. The Eagles haven't beaten us in, I think, since 2000. 2009 so I have no fear of them uh, I think we will drop a game against the Rams because we always do we always end up losing one game to those scrubs I hate the Rams so much but I know they're going to steal one off of us at some point so I'm going to say it's been week 10 and I think we're going to beat the Cardinals so uh, what's that going to put us at that's going to put us at two losses through week 13 Dang. All right, Max. So you got your team at 10 and two. I have them at eight and four. Now we got the final four games at home against the New York Jets. That is a win to bring them to nine and four. Then at the Washington Redskins, that could be tough, but I don't think it will be. That'll get them to 10 and four. Then they play at home against the Los Angeles Rams. I think that's a win. Get them to 11 and four. And then at the San Francisco 49ers, I'm going to say that's a loss in week uh, 17 another week 17 loss to the San Francisco 49ers, I might add. And that'll bring them to 11 and five. Jets and Redskins are absolute wins. Let's get that off the table right away. Uh, with the Rams game, like I said, I could see us splitting the season series with them. So they beat us in week 10. So we'll beat them in week 16. And then, you know, uh, I believe I said we lost, we lose to the 49ers in week Eight, so I'm going to say we beat them in week 17. So that's going to put us at 14 and two. There's really no reason for Pete Carroll to end this season 
with less than 11 wins. I'm going to say it right now. There's no reason we should have less than 11 wins come the end of the season. I have them at 11 and five, but you have them at 14 and two, which was the best record in the NFL last season with the Baltimore Ravens. I'm I am cautiously optimistic, and that would be I believe I believe that would be a record for us for most wins in the season. I think we've got 13 and three, you know, the three years we made the Super Bowl. So 14 and two would be you know best case scenario, I think. And I think it's possible. All right, Max. So now we're going to we're gonna fly through this 49ers schedule. So week one, the 49ers play at home against the Arizona Cardinals. I think that's a win. Then they play at the New York Jets. I'm going to say that's a win as well. They stay in New York. 49ers play two weeks in a row at MetLife. Then they play at the New York Giants. I think that's a win as well to get them to 3-0. Then the 49ers return home to play the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think that will be a tough game, but I got them winning to go to 4-0. Sounds like 4-0 to me going off of that schedule, you know. I don't see any reason you guys should come out of that with a, with a loss in those first four weeks. Week 5, Miami Dolphins win. At home against the Los Angeles Rams, win. At the New England Patriots, normally that would be a loss, but I'm going to go with a win. I think that the 49ers' first loss of the season comes in Week 8, at the Seattle Seahawks, as I noted earlier. So after eight weeks, I have the 49ers at seven and one. Yeah, you know, I guess in my Seahawks preview, I said, uh, you know, the Niners would beat us at home. So I guess I have to put you guys at eight. No, through the first eight weeks, it's painful. But looking at this schedule, I don't see any opposition. But this this next four-week block could pose some opposition. Yes, definitely. Uh, But hey, if the 49ers have an 8-0 start for the second year in a row, I will be a very happy man. But the games just have to be played first. All right, week nine, at home on a Thursday night, a short week against the Green Bay Packers. The 49ers have had the Packers number for a while. I think the fact that this is at home and the Packers have to travel across the country for a Thursday night game, I think that's a win for the 49ers. Now they're at 8-1. and one. I have them losing at New Orleans. That's going to be a tough game. They 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 got it last year. I don't think that they'll sneak out a win this year. So I got them at 8-2 and two after 10 weeks. Week 11 is the bye. That's a pretty good bye to have it at week 11. And then at the Los Angeles Rams, that will be tough, but I think that will be a win. I think they'll sneak one out. And then you have uh, at home on a Monday night against the Buffalo Bills. That one is going to be tough as well. I think that... Go with a win, 10-2. and two. So you're playing the Green Bay Packers. Now you kicked their ass twice last year, and the Packers Easily. decided to go out, and they went out and did fuck all in the draft instead of – they drafted a backup quarterback, so you did fuck all in the draft. So I think you're going to crush those frauds again for the third time in You don't, two you don't years. think that Jordan Love is going to catch an 80-yard bomb from Aaron Rodgers? God, the Packers suck. What are they doing, man? <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> And uh, and shout out to the Packers fan who went on the Seahawks subreddit saying that we were going to trade for Miles Garrett and actually got on Seattle Sports Radio. So, yeah, chuck down the Packers for a loss. <laughs> uh, I think you guys will lose to New Orleans in Week 10. Well, that's the 41st loss on your schedule. Yeah, that, that puts them at 9-1. and one. And then coming off that bye week, uh, it's going to be tough. I think you guys are going to end up splitting with LA again. So I'm going to say that's a loss in week 12. And then I'm going to see you guys lose to the bills in week 13. So 
that's uh, going to be three losses in a row there for me. Woof. Woof. Dang. You were generous getting them to 8-0, but then now you have the 49ers losing three in a row. I don't think that you'll have them losing four in a row because they host the Washington Redskins. Then they play at the Dallas Cowboys. I've been getting some hate from some of my 49ers friends for this prediction, but I actually think that the 49ers will lose to the Dallas Cowboys. I think that they will lose to the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas on Sunday night football. It pains me to say that. It truly does. But I think that they will lose to the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night football. So that will uh, drop them to 11-3 and in my predictions. Then at the Cardinals, that is another very tough game at the Cardinals. But I think that the 49ers lose that as well. I think that they, they lose two in a row. Kyler Murray gets the best of the 49ers, as he did twice last season, but the 49ers were able to squeeze out a win. But I think that they split the series with the Cardinals. So that drops the 49ers to four losses. And then I have them beating Seattle in week 17. So I have the 49ers at 12 and four. One win better than Seattle. Well, I'm going to say you guys beat Washington and beat Dallas even though the Dallas game is on Sunday night. That could be a tough game because, you know, Dallas loves the big lights, but we'll see. Uh, I'm going to say you guys lose to Arizona in week 16 and then lose to Seattle, as I said in the previous segment, in week 17. So that's going to put you at 11-5, and five, three games back. So you got the Seahawks at 14-2 and two and the 49ers at 11-5. and five. At least my predictions were a little closer. <laughs> Well, you know, I like surprises. It's hard for a losing team after losing the Super Bowl, coming back and having a big playoff run. I think that's going to factor in a lot, especially given how close you guys were. No, yeah, I I do completely agree with that. Unless they turn into the Buffalo Bills, and let's hope if they do that, they actually can win one. Um, but, but yeah, Mac, I completely agree with you that it's very tough to lose a Super Bowl and then to come back the next season and to have an even better season. That's something that I'm trying to explain to my 49ers fan friends is that it's going to be tough to repeat the success of last season. They started eight and they went 13 and three. It's going to be really tough to repeat that. So that's why I think it's generous of me to say that they're going to be 12 and four. That's me thinking optimistically, because I think after those first eight weeks, that's when it really gets tough in that second half of the schedule. And it should also be noted. The NFC West is going to be tough this year. If the Los Angeles Rams are probably the worst team in the division at this point, then that's really saying something considering that they were in the Super Bowl um, over like two years ago. So, or it's, a year ago, really. So there is, there is a, there is a very real possibility that all the NFC West could make the playoffs this year with seven teams. There's a very real possibility that could happen. All right, there you go. All right. So now we are going to continue this supersized episode of double coverage. And we are going to talk about just the hypotheticals. First, let's get into the, the possibility of the NHL and the NBA returning because obviously the NHL and the NBA, they both had about a month left in their um, seasons before the playoffs started. And then MLB, they were just getting started as they were a couple weeks away from the regular season starting. So which do you think is going to, going to start up first? Do you think that the NHL and the NBA will resume their leagues first? Or do you think that the MLB will start their season first? Because right now it really seems like a race to be first. We saw the UFC want to be first, but that's not a a year-round sport. 
So for the year round, well, it is, but it isn't. You know what I mean when it comes to a year round team sport. But and I'm, I had to correct myself there. But which do you think is going to return first? Will it be baseball or will it be hockey and basketball? One of those two. I think specifically it's going to be basketball that comes back first. And it's because, you know, they were pretty much the catalyst when everything changed in the U.S. You know, when Rudy Gobert caught coronavirus and they had shut down the game and then shut down the league. You know, I think there was always going to be a drive, especially from Adam Silver. We saw it on the, or we heard about it on the uh, conference call with all the commissioners and the president. You know, Adam Silver said, we were the first to shut down. We want to be the first back. And so I feel like that mentality is going to lead them to come back first. Also, I think it's going to be easier for them to kind of start up in the middle of the season or have this, you know, proposed playing tournament as opposed to, you know, having to go through all the spring training and then into the regular season for baseball. So I think basketball is going to come back first. I'm not too sure about where hockey is going to come back though, because, you know, I know they share a lot of, I know they share a lot of stadiums with basketball. So I feel like it would be sometime around the same time. Yeah, I, I agree. We haven't really heard too much on, on the hockey front. Hockey's just kind of been grouped together with all the major sports leagues but we haven't really we we've heard things from only the NBA saying okay we aren't even going to come up with a plan until May 1st and then after that and now we're starting to see these practice facilities start to reopen slowly the Sacramento Kings even though the the state of California is still under pretty much a lockdown. Um, the Sacramento Kings, they did get permission to be able to open up their facilities. So they're one of um, several NBA teams that have done that. But with hockey, we haven't really heard anything with from Gary Bettman. He hasn't really said anything about when he wants hockey to return. Um, so I'm interested about that. But, but like you said, it, it probably has to go hand in hand with, with basketball just because their schedules are so pretty much like in line to where they pretty much would realistically start up around the same time. Um, with baseball, there has been a proposal and, and the MLB owners just sent out a proposal to the players saying, we want to do an expedited spring training in June. And then we want to start the season officially only play half the schedule, play 81 games. And then a, instead of 162 and they want to start on July 4th, because how American is starting a sport on July 4th, um, so real quickly, Mac, I want I want to ask you two questions before we move on from this topic and get into the last dance with our friend Gary Singh. The first question that I have is in terms of competitive fairness. We've heard guys like Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, come out and say NFL practice facilities should not reopen until all 32 can open at once. And he said the same thing should go for NBA, NHL, all these other sports in terms of the competitive balance. What do you think about stances like that, that we hear from guys like Mike Tomlin about competitive balances? I mean, I agree with him in the sense that, you know, things should be fair. Everybody should have the opportunity to open up and compete at the same time. But it's just going to be, you know, monumentally tough to get everybody on the same page. I mean, listening to Gavin Newsom at the press conferences every day, it makes it seem like there's gonna there's a very little chance sports are gonna be played in California anytime soon. So that means you have to move all the California teams into another state or different states. And so, you know, it's just it's gonna be hard to get, to get satellite operations set up. You're working on unfamiliar floors. You know, I've talked to a lot of you know coaches and players. You know, during my journalism days 
here at Sac State and ARC, you know, they mentioned how nice it is to be able to train, practice, and play at home. So it's going to be difficult if teams have to be spread out across the country and play in territory that I'm familiar with. So I do believe in, in, you know, that competitive balance and fairness. I just think it's going to be really tough to actually put it in practice. I agree because Mike Tomlin is right in the sense that everyone should be on the same playing level, but also we're just living through something that we've never experienced before. And And it's easy to say this should be done a certain way, but if life literally just doesn't allow for that, then that's that's how it is. That's the reality of it. We live in a state in California, which is one of the highly the most highly infected states in the country, along with New York. Meanwhile, you have states like South Carolina who think that they should just be able to go out and about and do whatever they want because they aren't highly infected. But the thing is, is as a country, we all have to stay inside. So it's 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 a sticky situation. There's so much that goes into it. Um, it it's just tough. All right, now we are here with our guest, the first ever guest here on Double Coverage and the last guest of the first season of Double Coverage, my guy, Gary Singh. How are we doing today, Gary? What's up, you guys? How are you guys doing today? We're doing awesome. We're doing awesome. We appreciate you coming on, man. Yep, appreciate you guys. All right, Gary. So the three of us, we are all big basketball nuts. We all love basketball. But the thing about it is that we all were born in the late 1990s. So when the last dance was taking place, that was pretty much when we were born. So this is great for us um, all as basketball fans to just watch this. I have loved watching the last dance so far. We've seen the first eight episodes and now we got the final two coming up this Sunday. First, Gary, I wanted to ask you, what has been your favorite moment so far from the first eight episodes? Is there one that sticks out to you that you're just like, that was hilarious or that was awesome. Your favorite moment so far. I think my favorite moment, well, I think my ending favorite moment is going to be the this last shot in Chicago, but my favorite moment so far, it's either between when he had the Jordan dome, which is like super cool to play. Like how he hasn't, he hasn't run every night with the greatest players that are coming. They're probably having a blast trying to pull up to wherever Jordan that just to get some runs in. And then probably my first favorite moment, I just loved how they were just talking about that dream team, man. That dream team, they're talking about that epic scrimmage they had and how it was just the most best game ever. I wish they had recordings so we could see like, play-by-play of that game because every single player, like Charles Barkley and every single player on that dream team talks about how that's the funnest, most competitive game they ever played. So I think that's my funnest moment, greatest moment of so far of the docuseries. Mac, how about you? Yeah, he kind of took mine. I was going to say the Jordan Dome. Uh, I love Reggie <laughs> Miller coming to say, you know, those are some of the greatest games we ever played. So I'll instead go with back in episode four when you had uh, Phil Jackson talking about, you know, the triangle offense. You know, it's kind of become a meme in recent years because, you know, his front office stay with the Knicks. You know, the meme of him <laughs> holding up the triangle. But it was it was cool for me to, you know, see him explain why he believed in the system so much and how, you know, it ultimately helped, you know, Jordan and the Bulls become a more cohesive unit. You know, Jordan didn't you realize Jordan didn't have to score all the time. It's like if they were a team, if they passed, created the right shots, created the right opportunities, then they would become a lot more successful. And it worked. And it was just great for me to watch, be able to watch and see like 
him explaining it and seeing it in action, seeing it in practice, and the little diagrams they had drawing out the triangles. It was just a cool thing for me to see. My favorite moment was probably when the Bulls finally beat the Bad Boy Pistons because the Bad Boy Pistons just beat Michael Jordan's ass. They physically whooped on him for years, and he just – Jordan ruled, baby. It was the Jordan rules, exactly, Mac. And he finally broke through. He finally beat them. And for Isaiah to be so petty and Bill Lambeer to just walk off the court and not even shake his hand and show him that respect, Michael Jordan, as we've seen multiple times throughout this doc, he will find something like microscopic and he will just take that one little and use it as motivation. Yeah, so he that, that was my favorite part was because – I, we all got to see it with LeBron when he finally won that first championship in Miami. And obviously he had a little more help than Michael Jordan did. Um, but he finally broke through, finally won that first championship. And then you see Michael Jordan finally break through and win that championship. So for me, that was my favorite. Gary, I got to I gotta ask you real quick. I saw a little bit of a side eye there. I got so many things to attack you on right now. You don't even know all the things you just said. So many things. First off, the last point you just said, Michael Jordan and LeBron had more help than Michael. Michael had a team that went to the playoffs without him. LeBron's team has never been to no type of playoffs without him at all after he left. After he left. Hey, Gary, you're trying to correct me, bro, but you got to get your facts straight because you said that Michael Jordan's team made the playoffs without him. But I think that was the 1995 Bulls when we're talking about the 1990-1991 Bulls when he won his first championship. So Yeah, but still, like the the team, the still 91 team is probably better than all of Bron's teams. That's what I, I feel like. We're going to agree to disagree. Oh, we don't got to agree on that. It's okay. <laughs> and the, and I get it. I get it. Michael Jordan got beat up, but they're acting like the Bulls didn't beat everyone else up either. This is why I don't be liking all this one-sidedness of Michael sometimes. One last thing. The handshaking thing, oh, yeah, I get it. It's respect. But like we all said, they always do that to each other before. And like you said, Michael just found something to get mad at. Something to get mad at. So I get it. Nowadays, that would be disrespect everyone. But back in the day, even the Celtics, Larry Bird said, we didn't shake the piston hand. So it's like, why well, complain about it now? But it just sucks how they kind of did IT wrong. Like he just got screwed over in every other situation after that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, karma does find a way to come back around. Um, and and for me, like, it's one thing not to shake their hands, but to to exit the court before the game even ends and to walk in front of their bench, like, as one of their teammates <laughs> who was off, coming off the bench and just shooting free throws as Michael's already on the bench because they were kicking their ass. And to walk mm-hmm. off the court before the game, before you even hear that final buzzer, it's like, okay. That, yeah, that's- that, that point I see, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm going to get Gary. I'm going to get your uh, thought next. I want to hear out of the first eight episodes, what has mm. been your favorite so far? So far, to be honest, I think these two, these two episodes this past week, especially his dad's episode, was one of my favorite episodes, to be honest with you. It was just like the probably most heartwarming one, to be honest. Yeah. What? A, okay. So, Mac, I think Gary, I think Gary might have taken yours there, but. Let me get a different perspective on your your favorite episode. Um, I like okay, so I really loved episode seven because you know, like all the stuff with his dad and you know his mindset, you know, transitioning away mm-hmm. from basketball at that time. But uh, just to be different, 
I will say uh, episode three, I loved seeing, you know, Dennis Rodman's transformation into doing whatever the hell he wants, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. talking about, you know, Vegas. where he's come from and how he, yeah, his disappearance to Vegas, especially the end of episode three when Michael Jordan's like, he's not coming back in 48 hours. I hope you know that. <laughs> and the next episode starts with a ticker like, he has been away for this many hours. It was it was just a fun episode, I think. It was really, it was really like the first episode to include a lot of the cursing too, which I think was part of Rodman. <laughs> The internet would explode. Oh yeah, that and that <laughs> you you hit the nail on the head there, Gary. Because that's the thing that's like so different and so great about this documentary is is way before the internet and social media blew up. Nowadays, like that's not possible because twenty twenty five years ago, you can go to Las Vegas and I can walk past both you, uh, both of you guys, Mac and Gary, and then you can turn your head and you be like. I think I just saw Sean Holko, but you can't post about it on Twitter or anything. Mm-hmm. It wasn't out there. So then nobody yeah. else know. And and you'll just call up your you'll just call up your friend and you'll just be like, oh hey, I just saw so and so. And they'll be like, No, no, you didn't. You don't have proof. And and so that that's the era that we lived in. So yeah, that was really great. My favorite part from that episode, Mac, was when they brought in Carmen Electra. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was surprised you got interviewed. <laughs> And then, and then for Michael Jordan to say, I had to go get his ass from Las Vegas. The greatest basketball player of all time had to go pick his ass up and to drag him out of Las Vegas. Oh, my God. That was so good. And for me, my favorite episode was – and you guys kind of already touched up on this earlier. But my favorite episode was probably episode number five, and that was the episode that really highlighted the Dream Team and really just showed a lot about the Dream Team and everything that happened in Barcelona – and I think Gary, you were the one who directly mentioned it um, about the the practices that they would have because the, this was the first time that the USA ever had NBA players representing them um, in the Olympics, and they knew that they were going to win. And like even Croatia with Tony Kukoc, who was the the second best team, they handled them. They beat them by thirty points. So I they knew they were going to handle all the other countries. So those practices. Are, were really like all-star games and i just i even the short amount of footage that they had i thought it was so cool um all right guys so final thoughts now mac i'm gonna throw it to you first because gary might uh read your mind so <laughs> mac i'm gonna throw it to you first what are you most looking forward to about episodes nine and ten because obviously these games have already happened we know how this is gonna end the bulls are gonna win their sixth championship but what are you most looking forward to about these last two episodes? I'm looking forward towards the end because, you know, this was the last dance. So after they raise the trophy, you know, kind of like everybody splits off and goes said their separate ways. You know, Jackson leaves the Bulls, Jordan retires, Pippen's traded. I'm curious to see, you know, what they're going to say about that, you know, and how, you know, maybe getting insight into their mind at the time, especially with Scotty, him being traded away from Chicago. I'm interested to hear what they have to say about that today. And Gary, how about you? What are you most looking forward to about these final two episodes? I think I'm just looking most forward to, like we said, we already know the ending. So I just want more like in-depth on why things happen and why we, we can't really figure out why management did it. I mean, they said why they basically did it. They basically said, we're not trying to pay you guys. And they really didn't. They were just playing cheapskates at the end. You kind of could tell, like, they can't pay. It kind of sucks they can't talk to Jerry right now because, obviously, 
he's uh, passed away. But, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, I feel like he's getting his just due, though, just because at the end of the day, he was the person who built all this, and he's the one who built all of it. And I bet you, to be honest, not to bring LeBron's name, but LeBron James probably wants him over any other GM he had because he helped create six rings for Michael, and LeBron barely has three. So, you know, so, like, I feel like the best part of this, of the ending, I just want to see the detail, just the detail of what Michael Jordan thinks now today. Yeah, I agree with both of the sentiments that you guys provided. Um, I'm just looking forward to to the conclusion. And I think once we watch these episodes 9 and 10, I'm about to be a college graduate. I'm a, I only work three days a week, so I have other four days in my schedule. That I think uh, coming up, I'm going to take one of these days and I'm just going to watch 10 straight hours of the last day and watch it just like Mac has done. Um, real quickly, guys, just – I just need I just need an answer. I don't need an explanation. I just need an answer. Gary, who is the best basketball player of all time? You can name anyone. You can name Michael Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Bill Russell, Pistol Poop, whoever you want. Who's the best basketball player of all time? My generation, I'm picking LeBron James, the best basketball player of all time. Mac. Jordan. I am going to pick Kareem. Abdul Jabbar, because Michael Jordan and LeBron James, those are the common picks. But I think that Kareem was just best basketball player. He's still, LeBron hasn't passed him yet. He is still number one on the all time scoring list at 38,000 career points. So I'm going to go with the outsiders pick and I am going to pick Kareem. But, you know, anytime you mention any of those guys' names, it's hard to pick wrong. I got to pick a guard. You got to pick a guard? <laughs> Wait, I got to pick a guard. I got to pick a wing player. But what? Mac and I are both like, what? 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 But, but, but yeah, a guard, a wing player. I'm not picking a center. But, 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 doesn't play LeBron. point guard and doesn't play forward both? Yeah, I guess LeBron, he could be considered. Averaging the most assists? But you know, Gary. You oh, know, y'all. He's not Tom 10 assists. <laughs> All right, I gotta wrap it up. Gary and I are gonna be debating. Yeah, for the Gary came to fight. <laughs> Woo! I came to bring the topics, y'all. I told you, Gary. Gary. Gary came ready for the debates. He came ready for the debates. All right, I want to thank our guest, Gary, the only two-time, two-time guest here on Double Coverage. We appreciate you coming on, Gary. And uh, that's gonna do it. Episode number sixteen. Season one of Double Coverage. That's it for me. Hopefully, whoever continues this podcast next semester will bring me in as a guest. But that's going to do it for me. Um, Final thoughts, guys. Mac, I'm going to throw it to you first. Gary, if you got any final thoughts, uh, we'll hear them from you as well. Yeah, just so everybody's clear, Sean came to me with the idea for this podcast. So we got to give him all the credit. You know, you've been a great dude helping me with the state hornet all this time. You've been a great co-host. You've been a great friend. So thanks for everything, man. Enjoy life. Thank you, man. Exactly. Appreciate that, brother. Exactly. Just following Mac, you know, you're Sean already knows how I feel, man. Appreciate him. Shout out many times to KCCU Hornet. Everything we do, appreciate you, man. You taught me a lot. You already know you're gonna do great things one day and keep pushing, man. Keep grinding. We all going to the top, you guys. Thank you, my brother. We just, we just got to work. We just got to work, and, and we're going to make it to the top. All right, so that is going to do it.
for season one of Double Coverage. We want to thank you all. If you have made it an hour into this season finale, we appreciate you very much. Uh, especially shout out to our faculty advisor, Stu, who kept telling us that 24 minutes was long enough. Well, Stu, we went out with a bang. We went out. <laughs> I don't even know if you'll hear this, if you'll get to the end of this podcast, but we're going out with a bang. <laughs> thank you, Mac, too, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate the kind words. Well, guys, that's going to do it for episode number 16 of the Double Coverage Podcast and season one. If you want to check out any of the previous 15 episodes, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or even on StateHornet.com. Have a great summer, everybody. Make sure to stay safe. Wash your hands. Social distance. We will get through this eventually. And make sure to tune in for season two of the Double Coverage Podcast, returning in fall 2020 here on the State Hornet Podcast Network. For Mac Irvin III and Gary Singh, I am Sean Holko for one final time. Thank you for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. And have a good one.